Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us in the name of Jesus Christ. May in this place be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, stagnancy, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arcadi into your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to guide it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May you be blessed and you may be seated. The place of Holy Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be the sons of your Heavenly Father, for He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The Sermon of Apostle Arkady called to perfection. This is the authoritative commandment and written in the book of Matthew and is presented to us in the series of sermons of Apostle Arkady and it is the inheritance of saints of all time, and this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. And therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and likely will never have a relation to it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20-21 Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And proceeding from such a definition, the true will of God was laid out in Scripture not through men, led by the power of their own intellect, but through those that are led by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, interpretation of the will of God belongs exclusively to those that are led by the power of the mind of Christ. And Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father 
For the reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. This spoken word of God anointed by the Holy Spirit has power because it gives life. As Christ said, the words that I speak are life. An anointed sermon has life and it can move in us and perform this work of the Holy Spirit. Because however beautiful a sermon might sound, if it comes from the flesh and is not anointed, it does not bring life. Therefore, we together are blessed that we hear and that we are found in this. And this is a huge responsibility when we neglect this word. This is also a huge responsibility for us. With regard to the fulfillment of this commandment, to be vigilant over the word of God in our heart, just as God is vigilant over the words spoken by him in the temple of our body, we have stopped to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person. What goals is the righteousness of God called to pursue that dwells in our heart, and in part in the fact that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart, accepted by us in the broken tablets of covenant, in which we, with the law, die to the law, so that we can live for the one who died and rose, so that in this manner we could receive affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of testimony in the format of the law of the Spirit of life, so that we can give God the basis to give us the promise, not with a former law to be heirs of peace, but through righteousness by faith, just as he had given it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4.13 We have noted that the righteousness of faith is defined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God that is presented in the preached word. As it is written, And Abraham believed God, and this was imputed to him as righteousness. And for us, the faith of God is presented in the preached word of the messenger of God, at the head of which is the person who represents our faith is presented in the preached word, at the head of which is the person who represents for us the fatherhood of God. And Pastor provided a commentary here after these words, I will also, uh, I will also share them. The faith of God is obedience to the information of the Word of God in the Word of God. Faith is from hearing the Word of God, and this is not an emotion. Faith comes through the revelation of knowledge. If a person receives a revelation, then he is able to proclaim it as his own. And if this is written in the Word of God, then we ought to say that this is the written, but this is not the faith of our heart. We simply are proclaiming the Word of God, but not the faith of our heart. If the Word of God is engraved in our heart, and the Holy Spirit says, Now you can now take from the treasury of hope, then 
we can proclaim it as the faith of God. And so the promise of the peace of God is given only to those people who have clothed themselves in the dignity of disciples, which allow them to submit to the order of God according to which He sends us His word through the lips of the messengers of God. Thus, the covenant of peace in the heart of a person is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God in the words of the messenger of God. And we, in a certain format, have already looked at six signs according to which we should judge and test that we are the sons of peace and therefore and the sons of God. Because sons of God are called the sons of peace. We have stopped to study the seventh sign by which we must judge of our partaking to the sons of peace. This is by the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or selective love of God. Colossians chapter 3 verses 14 through 15 But above all these things put on love which is the bond of perfection and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. According to this passage the rule of the peace of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition. If the selective love of God will dwell in our hearts and if we are clothed in the selective love of God. Because the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, it is the atmosphere of the peace of God, and it contains good, wonderful, eternal, and incomprehensible to our mind goals of God that are called to build unique and peaceful relations between God and His children. And therefore, the character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in the preached word of the apostles and prophets in the light of seven unearthly virtues. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. And we have already studied virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, and we will take a look at the dignity of brotherly love, or rather, godliness. First Timothy 3.16 And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. We had noted that all of this God had shown in His mystery through the Church. And through the Church, God was revealed in the flesh. In that moment, the Church was the people of Israel. The Church is a congregation of holy saints that are chosen by God. And He arrived in the flesh in this chosen people among these chosen people, and through these chosen people, he had shown the whole world the love of God the Father. Because even the angels in heaven do not understand the wisdom of God fully. And in order to understand it fully, they 
can understand it only through our lives and through our proclamations. Each individual Christian is an individual trait of the wisdom of God as it is written so that it may be made known through the church to the powers of heaven the manifold wisdom of God. None of the angels have ever seen God but they are given the great privilege to see the children of God. It is not these faces of ours that represent God in these bodies, but it is the face of our new man. He represents the face of God and represents the face of God, our new man, who by nature is equal to the nature of God, and he resembles God. So not this face that we carry in our fleshly body, but the face that we carry in our heavenly body, it illuminates God. And with regard to this factor, it was necessary for us to answer four classic questions. With what characteristics does Scripture endow the godliness of God and man? What purpose is godliness called to fulfill in the relationship of God with man and man with God? What conditions are necessary to fulfill for our godliness to collaborate with the godliness of God? And by what signs should we define that our godliness truly collaborates with the godliness of God? We have already studied the first three questions and already studied two signs of the fourth questions with which we must verify the cooperation of our godliness with the godliness of God. We have stopped to study the third sign. Third sign according to which we should test and define ourselves for the fact that in showing the selective love of God, our godliness collaborates with the goodness of God. And this is according to the presence by the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Psalm of David, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul and leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff you comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is in this psalm that we see illuminated the character of our new man. evidence that God is our shepherd in this Psalm of David are four components. This is, first, the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. The Lord leads me beside still waters. Third, the Lord restores my soul. And fourth, the Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness. And today, we will pay attention to this fourth piece of evidence 
The Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness. And to test and weigh ourselves on the scales of justice to see if we have these components should be done by the presence of four other components that are discovered when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And this is first, that we will fear no evil because God is with us. Second, the Lord's rod and staff, they will comfort us. Third, God has prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And fourth, God has anointed our head with oil and our cup runs over. So according to these four signs, we define that the Lord is our shepherd. With regard to this, we have already studied the first three evidences by which we could define that the Lord is our shepherd. We have stopped to study the fourth sign which states, The Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness. And so we will provide this definition. What are or what is the path of righteousness? It is a snare of righteousness, the step of righteousness, it is the foot of righteousness or the trace of righteousness, the path of righteousness to the wisdom of God. It is growth, increase, and expansion on the paths of righteousness. It is partaking to the body of Christ on the paths of righteousness. If we pay attention to one of the meanings of where God leads us on the paths of righteousness that will verify what we have read. This is our partaking to the body of Christ on these paths. And how do we define that we partake to the body of Christ on the paths of righteousness? And how we can build our, how can we build ourselves in love? The place of scripture Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11, says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And he set them for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And furthermore, it says, for the equipping again of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. How can we come to unanimity in faith? This is possible only in the structure of divine theocracy where God selects a person and places him as head of the church who is the Apostle representing the fatherhood of God. And God had shown this order in the structure of divine theocracy in the first apostolic church where he had chosen and selected Peter as the head. Acts chapter 2 verse 14 But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. That is why, for the multitude, 
They had one heart and one mind, and they continued to dwell in the teaching of the apostles, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And furthermore, it is written for us to grow into a perfect man in the full measure of the stature of Christ. For what? So that we can no longer be infants, swaying to and fro, and swayed by all kinds of winds of teaching, according to the cunningness and craftiness of men. But with true love, we can look to the head who is Christ. Who joins and knit together his each member and so we have already seen or studied a set of com- components which determine the purpose of the paths of righteousness and how our partaking to the body of Christ helps edify our bodies. That's why those people who do not accept the authority of the messengers sent by God cannot follow the commandment to be perfect as their Heavenly Father is perfect, and they have no relation and likely will never be able to have a kind of relation. We have noted that all components and purposes of the paths of righteousness are dissolved in one another, they are found in each other, support each other, and determine the authenticity of one another. And further, we will study the paths of righteousness in the format of the established ways of a person who ponder the path of their feet, and while on the path of the righteous, they do not turn to the right or the left. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. Ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil, because the Lord observes the righteous paths, and the left is corrupted. He will make your path straight, and He will arrange your processions in the world. Before we begin to study the conditions for how to ponder the path of our feet and how to establish our ways firm so that we do not turn to the right or the left, we will look at the reward. And Pastor focuses our attention to the following phrase, which contains a reward. He will make your path straight and he will arrange your processions, processions in the world. According to the contents of this phrase, our processions on the paths of the Lord is referring to the character of a procession of righteousness in the cultivation of the seed of the kingdom of heaven in the heart of a person that is acknowledged by a specific behavior on paths of righteousness, that is, our reign on the throne of David to which there will be no limit in the kingdom of our body. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty, God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Here we are talking about what is occurring in our body, because the kingdom of heaven is found in the boundaries of our body, under the condition that we are partakers of the body of Christ, which is the sovereign authority of God on the earth. And the birth of the kingdom of heaven in our body occurs from the imperishable seed of the word of God when the soul of our heart has been prepared to hear the preached word. The same way the kingdom of heaven is found in the boundaries of the house of God contained in the union of three dimensions, height of the heavens, sanctuary, and in the face of God's remnants in the body of a person, with a humble and contrite spirit. And also in the three substances of the human essence, there is the union of the three thrones of David, which in our body fulfill different purposes, but pursue one goal. This is the adoption of our body with the redemption of Christ. Because each kingdom has a throne on which the king sits on the throne. The throne of David in the spirit of a person is a conscience that is cleansed from dead works with its tablets sealed with the reigning teaching of Christ. And again, I will reiterate Pastor's commentaries in which, which he gives in the sermon. He says that Sometimes people are involved with sanctification, but only partially. And only partially can it be correct in them. Because after they have cleansed their hearts, but they have not sealed in this cleansed heart the reigning teaching of Christ, devil returns, and he sees that the house is clean, but no one is living there. There is no master in this house. There is a master, well, the intellect of a person. But for devil, the intellect of a person is his weapon. He comes and sees that here is his weapon, but there is no Holy Spirit, master, ruler. He is not invited there. Then he comes, and for this kind of person, this is a worse state than it was previously. And when they, pastor says, through their encounters which have no relation whatsoever to sanctification, will never have any relation to it, if they conduct so-called sanctification in three days, then God, or rather devil, controls them. And he controls them as a religious spirit, giving them revelations which he rips out of scripture and on this basis of this builds some kind of new ideas that give a person euphoria and that make a person do that which God has not called him to do. Then this religious spirit stands, places goals before a person which God has never placed. The goal of evangelism, 
healing, doing all kinds of good works and all kinds of other things. But this was never our goal. This was a result, but not the goal. Our goal was always to save our soul. What benefit is it for man if he gains the whole world, but his soul perishes? Our goal is to adopt our body through the redemption of Christ and to raise in our body the throne of David, to raise in our spirit the throne of David, and to raise up in our soul the throne of David. This is our goal. This is our goal toward wits, which we must strive, applying all of our strength and all of our energy. As it is written, from the days of John of Baptism, the kingdom of heaven is taken with strength, and those who take it with strength Therefore, if the conscience is cleansed and there is no teaching of Christ engraved there which we can receive through instruction in faith and only through that person whom God has established, and this is he who reads. There is only usually one reader in the church. There can't be two of them. Even in the Christian movement, there can't be two readers, but only one. The rest are going to be those that listen and water. Apostle John turned to the seven churches and each of these churches there were from three and a half to four thousand and in each of these cities there were three and a half to four thousand churches and among these churches there was one pastor however John says John says to the seven churches that were found in Asia John had opened to them what God revealed to him. And he opens and he says, Blessed is he who reads and who hears the words and fulfills them. He who reads and he who listens are blessed when they fulfill, when they fulfill that which they hear. Therefore, there can be only one reader. And when people don't have knowledge of this, then they don't have the throne of David in their spirit. And so the throne of David in the spirit of a person is a conscience that is cleansed from dead works with its tablets sealed with the reigning teaching of Christ. The throne of David in the soul of a person is our thinking renewed with the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. The throne of David in the body of a person are pure lips that confess the faith of God abiding in our heart. And now, when we are familiar with the reward that God gives us, and that He makes our paths straight and arranges our processions in the world, we will turn to the conditions that the fulfillment of which will give God the basis to adopt our body with the redemption of Christ or to arrange our procession in the world.
And this requirement is comprised of two conditions, to ponder the path of our feet and to establish our ways, which will give us the wisdom and power to not turn to the right or the left and remove our foot from evil. And so the first question, how do we ponder our path so that we could give God the basis to make our path straight and arrange our procession in our cultivation in the kingdom of heaven? The phrase, ponder the path of your feet, points to the fact that before we begin our procession, it is necessary to test how closely the direction of our procession coincides with the goal that God has placed for us. In this parable, the word path in Hebrew means road, track from the wheels of a chariot. And Pastor said here that on the roads there are many tracks and we ought to define and follow the paths of that chariot that is the chariot of God. So that is the staff of God and the lips of God. While in the phrase ponder the path to your feet, the word ponder in Hebrew means to equalize the path for our foot, to test for our compliance with the original purpose, to observe the movement of the Holy Spirit in our heart, to consider or to study the direction to the goal, to calculate the costs to achieve the goal, to weigh the opportunities available to achieve the goal. According to these words, it follows that to ponder the path of our feet to see how closely it coincides to the original goals means to calculate the cost for the procession to the goal and to follow the trail left from the wheels of the chariot, which in practice means to pay the required price for the right to be a disciple of Christ in order to follow his path to the goal he has set for us in the reign of the resurrection of Christ in our body in the dignity of the power of life. And following the paths of Christ who goes before us builds correct relations between man and God. The process for pondering the path of our feet is well illustrated in one of the parables of Christ. This is Luke chapter 14 verses 31 through 33. A what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet with him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. It is here where he sends this delegation. This tells us us uh, the rejection of all things. Whoever does not reject all things or forsake all things, he cannot be my disciple. In this parable, the relationship of two queens, uh, two kings is the relationship of two sovereign people who rule over themselves. One of these people figuratively represent Christ and the other, a person who contends for the right to be his disciple. 
According to the norms of Scripture, a disciple who follows the teaching of his teacher uses the instruction of this teacher. On the one hand, to be a disciple, a person in the literal sense of the word is obligated to leave everything and follow his teacher wherever he may go. On the other hand, a disciple received the right to serve his teacher at all times, which for him was a privilege. If a disciple does not serve his teacher, he is incapable of being taught anything. Being a disciple basically meant to dedicate oneself to voluntary slavery to the teacher. These relations between a student and his teacher built a very deep, close, and unique relationship, like the relationship between a loving and caring father and his loving son, who zealously served his father and pursued the interests of his father. In Scripture, a student oftentimes called his teacher father, and a teacher called his student son. A student, while the teacher was still alive, shared in his fate and oftentimes represented his interests. What's interesting is that Jesus in this figuratively represents the king with the 20,000 and the candidate for discipleship represents the king with 10,000. The initial relationship between these two kings is defined as hostile or pursuing each one's goals and interests. Due to which, a military conflict arises between them. Jesus, as a king walking with 20,000, contends for the government over which the candidate for the right to be his disciple rises against him with 10,000. And then the contender for discipleship in the face of the king reigning over 10,000, after thinking and weighing all the pros and cons, makes a reasonable decision and sends the delegations and asks for peace. To obtain peace, the contender for discipleship in the face of the king reigning over 10,000 rejects all that he has and hands himself and all his powers over to the king with the superior powers. And so the second condition, making our ways established to give God the basis to make our way straight and arrange our procession in the world. We should know that Jesus never contended for anything that didn't already belong to him. We ought to deny all that we have or forsake all that we have. Because a contender in this case for the right to be his disciple decided to follow him without changing his priorities and his treasure continued to be that which was connected with his land. And therefore, a military conflict arose. In Scripture, the number 10 is directly tied to the Law of Moses, or hope in our flesh, whereas the number 20 is tied to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. To reject all that we have in order to be a disciple of the Lord means to change our relationship toward all things in this life and place them as secondary to God on our pedestal of priorities. 
Thus, our delegation, which will speak before Christ for our benefit, will be the price for discipleship expressed in taking up the correct position in relation to the kingdom of God and His power. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. Everything depends on righteousness. Righteousness is submission to the faith of God. It is information. It is submission to the faith, uh, to the information of God that comes from the word of and the preached word. And when we believe this information, then this righteousness, this is righteousness when we believe this information. And this righteousness gives us the ability to have peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The price for discipleship is to search for and accept the promise of the Holy Spirit on the conditions of God. The promise that is called to in our reborn spirit, soul, and body to represent the kingdom of God and His power and the dignity of the power of life. In Hebrew, the meaning of steps of righteousness discovers itself in leaven, in the seat of the kingdom of heaven that defines the action of a specific movement known to partake us to the body of Christ. So a step is leaven, seed, move, procession, gate, way, trail, growth, increase, multiplication, and increment. We will study the essence of the character of steps of righteousness in the leaven of the kingdom of heaven in our essence. And another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. We should point out that in this parable, the woman that took the leaven of the kingdom of heaven and hid it, hid in it three measures of meal is referring to our spirit, soul, and body until all of it is leavened. In other words, the leaven of the kingdom of heaven and the dignity of the reigning teaching of Christ was placed in the dough mixed with three measures of meal. If in the measurement of time our body in any way will not be related to the leaven of the kingdom of heaven, then this will mean that we have adopted a different kind of teaching that has nothing to do with the teaching of the kingdom of heaven. So the leaven of the kingdom of heaven must leaven not only our spirit, soul, but also our body. And as soon as this is leavened, we will become carriers of a heavenly body. If this will no longer be an earthly body, we accept the seed, we affirm it, we proclaim it with our lips, and only then does it begin to grow into fruit. And when we begin to proclaim it in the fruit of our lips, and thanks to our proclamation, God takes this proclamation and adopts our body. If we've paid attention, then words such as leaven, seed, path, and trail 
discover themselves in one another because they have mutual characteristics and a mutual atmosphere. In scripture, the essence of these words is defined by the word of God that comes from the lips of God, the lips of the messengers of God. For all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. It is here where we are talking about apostles, where Apostle Paul says, through us, meaning through the apostles. The image of this woman is collective, as it represents the bride of the Lamb in the face of the chosen remnant of God, led by a person anointed with the authority of the fatherhood of God. The leaven itself, depending on its origin, can be a prototype of the reigning sin accepted by a man in the format of a seductive forgery of truth, as well as the prototype of the kingdom of heaven accepted by man in the format of two divine authorities in the dignity of the truth of the commanding doctrine of Christ and in the dignity of of the face of the Holy Spirit revealing the mystery of truth in the heart. So, when a person accepts this kind of forgery of the truth, then this leaven will leaven the whole lump, all of his essence, spirit, soul, body, and then this person will perish. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-8 through 8. Your glorifying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The leaven of the kingdom of heaven, opposed to the leaven of malice and wickedness, is basic in the face of Christ, slain for our sins, cleansed us with his blood from the old leaven of malice and wickedness, so that we can be a new lump ready to accept the leaven of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God, for he made, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become righteousness, become the righteousness of God in Him. In a certain format, as far as God and the measure of our faith have allowed us, we have already examined four pieces of evidence that the Lord is our shepherd. Therefore, let us immediately turn to the consideration of the four, the other four evidence that confirms or ratifies the four available evidence when the Holy Spirit leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. The time of passage through the valley of the shadow of death is the time of taking off the old man when we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the non-existent as existent. And so the first sign 
or the first result that is called to serve as affirmation that the Lord is our shepherd will be comprised of the fact that we will fear no evil because the Lord is with us, which in practice means that upon taking off the old man with his works, God shepherds us. And when God shepherds and tends to us, and he as a shepherd tending to his flock goes before them, on one hand, in the face of our pastor, he first meets evil and takes upon himself the responsibility in order to deliver us from evil. And on the other hand, God shows us the examples for us to walk along his paths. John chapter 10, verses 2 through 5. The image of the one who opens the door for entrance into our essence of the Good Shepherd is the image of the Holy Spirit who enters our heart as Lord and Ruler in order to open to us the mystery of, our, of us being built into the house of God. So how do we build our spirit? How do we build our spirit, our soul, and our body into the Spirit of God? From this, it follows that the category of infants and carnal people who are not able to distinguish between good and evil and who do not understand how to reject evil and accept the good do not have the Holy Spirit in themselves, although they are baptized in the Holy Spirit and have received the gift of tongues. And therefore, if this category through instruction and faith does not cleanse their conscience of dead works, it will be transformed from sheep into wolves that did not spare the flock. In the same way as in his time the cherubim transformed himself into Satan. And to test ourselves on the subject of the fact that when we take off the old man with his works, we are not afraid of evil because God walks in front of us and through his rod feeds us, should be done by looking at the state of the person we are following and if this authority meets the requirements of a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. John 10, 11 through 15. We should not forget that the mandate of the fatherhood of God that Jesus was endowed with by his Father, by the command of the Holy Spirit, was given by him to his apostles so that they could shepherd his flock and deliver it from evil. And therefore, people who did not recognize in their time and in their midst the authority of the apostles of Christ and 
choose teachers who will flatter their uncircumcised ear, grazed next not to a good shepherd, but a hireling who goes not ahead of them, but after them, and does not intend to rid them from evil. Genesis chapter 48, verses 15 through 16. He blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named upon them, in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When we pronounce the word evil, then usually we do not realize and are not aware of what evil is by essence, what source it comes from, who is the primary source of evil, who is behind it, or how evil happened if God, thanks to His absolute power and omnipresence, filled with Himself the visible and invisible space. And if the good behind which God stands and which determines the essential nature of God is beginningless and infinite, or does not have a beginning and an end, then the evil that the fallen cherub is behind is not such, because evil in the face of the devil has an origin, by virtue of which he can never be like God. And therefore, in the opposition of evil to good, the defeat and shame of evil in the face of the fallen cherub and all those who followed him is already predetermined. Evil revealed its beginning and its origin when one of the God-created archangels in the face of a cherub had a thought in his heart to be like the Most High. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. You shall be brought down to Sheol, the lowest depths of the pit. Proceeding from this and other places of Scripture, God is not involved in the emergence of evil. The emergence of evil is a meaningful and voluntary choice of Lucifer. God, possessing innumerable rational capabilities and sovereign in His primordial nature, created angels with rational capabilities endowed with sovereignty, expressing the right to choose to obey or disobey His commandments and decrees that govern their relationship with Him and with each other. And when God created man in his own image and in his likeness, then man was also created by him with reasonable abilities and endowed with the sovereignty expressed and the right to choose obedience or disobedience to the commandments and decrees of God.
And therefore, since the sin of Adam and the Garden of Eden, our planet and all the growths of the earth, as well as all the people living on it, including the entire animal land and underwater world, have been held hostage to evil and the bearers of evil. Evil, first of all, is that which resists good and is the antonym of good. In Hebrew, the word evil is envy, annoyance, pride, hatred, deceit, infidelity, revolt, insurrection, crime, disaster, destruction, trouble, grief, sin, disobedience, neglect, harmful, insignificant, unfit, sly, opposing the truth, the personification and atmosphere of the underworld. Good is the program of the Most High, the programmable device of which is the Most High, God Himself. And evil is the programmable device of the fallen cherubim, the programmable device of which is the cherubim Himself. For these mutually exclusive and conflicting programs to be able to express themselves, a programmable device is necessary in the face of angels or people. To be a programmable device of the Most High or Fallen Cherubim is a sovereign decision of man. At the same time, we will remember that evil in Scripture is defined as every thought, word, and deed, the source of which is not God, while good in Scripture is every thought, word, and deed, the source of which is God. And therefore, if we were not taught how to eat milk and honey contained in the seed of the word of truth preached to us by a person who has the authority of the fatherhood of God, we will have no way to understand how to reject the evil and how to choose the good. Curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 15. In other words, in order to understand how to reject the bad and how to choose the good, firstly, it is necessary to take off the old man with his works. As it is written, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. So we ought not to be infants but to love like newborn babes, to love this pure milk of the word, so that we may grow thereby, if indeed you have tested that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-5 through 5. Considering that the root of all evil is love or dependence on money, whereas the root of all good is authority over money. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, through which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 1 Timothy 6, 9-10 The desire to be rich and the desire to know God are two mutually exclusive desires and manifestations that are incompatible in one body. We become hostages of the desire we choose. Therefore, God can protect us from evil only when our choice falls on the knowledge of God. And so, Pastor presents to us seven components here that give God the foundation to protect us from evil, although there are many more. And so the first, to give God the basis to protect us from evil, it is necessary to have our conduct be without covetousness. Hebrews 13, verses 5-6 through Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? God's role as our helper is comprised of the fact that if we fulfill our role in being grateful to God for what he has allowed us to have, he receives the basis to adopt our body through the redemption of Christ. Second, to give God the basis to protect us from evil, it is necessary to cry out to Him for help. Psalms 56, verses 9-11 When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. In God, I will praise His word. In the Lord, I will praise His word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Until we, with thanksgiving, make our supplications known before God, God will not have the basis to intervene on our behalf. Calling for help to God in our confrontation with our enemies, led by the demonic prince of Mammon, God as our helper receives the basis to stand up for us against our enemies. And by the way, in Hebrew, the word helper is to stand for him, to stand with him, and to stand against him. If we make a choice in favor of knowing God through the obedience of our faith to the faith of God and the preached word of his messenger, God as a helper stands with us and for us. And if we make the decision to become rich, the root of which is evil, God stands against us. Third, to give God the basis to protect us from evil, it is necessary to not fear the reproach and old insults of man. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. 
In this case, we are not talking about the people of this world, but about people among the people of God who, because of their envy, reproach and slander us. To not be afraid of reproaches from such people is possible only in one case, when we fear God. The presence of the fear of the Lord in our heart is determined by the legislation of God imprinted on the tablets of our heart. The fear of the Lord in our heart gives God reason to turn the words of our enemies into the moth that will eat them up like a garment and the worm that will eat them like wool. Whereas righteousness and the dignity of the fear of the Lord in our heart will abide forever and save us and our house. Fourth, to give God the basis to protect us from evil, it is necessary to not be afraid of what carnal people are afraid of, but honor the Holy Lord, for He is our fear and He is our trembling. Be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you from far countries. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not. The Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow, let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. It should be noted again that this is not about the people of this world, but about people in the midst of a congregation of saints who are more afraid of all kinds of frightening prophecies about disasters and all kinds of conspiracies, Knights of the Order of Malta, Masons and Illuminati, preparing the way for the world order and the appearance of the Antichrist rather than God. To honor God means to offer Him tithes in pursuit of knowledge of God and the revelations of His will about the adoptions of our body through the redemption of Christ that prepares us to meet with the Lord on the clouds. Fifth, to give God the basis to protect us from evil, it is necessary to not return evil for evil, but on the contrary, to turn our lips away from evil. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But this face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. 
Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And again, we are talking not about the people of this world, but about people in the midst of an assembly of saints who do not keep their tongue from evil and their mouth from cunning speeches, do not shy away from evil and do not do good. They do not seek peace and they do not strive for it. Six, to give God the basis to protect us from evil, it is necessary to not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do but to fear him who, after he was killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be defined before the angels of God. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 9. In order to not be afraid of the people who are killing the body for the faithfulness of our faith in God, we must fear God, who, when killed, can plunge those people into hell because they lack the fear of the Lord. Seven, to give God the basis to protect us from evil, it is necessary to be joyous and be glad. For who God is for us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, and who we are for God in Christ Jesus. Joel chapter 2, verses 23-27 Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For He has given you the former rain faithfully, and He will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain, in the latter rain in the first month, the threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. In this prophetic commandment, addressed exclusively to the children of Zion, we are not talking about earthly joy with a constant aftertaste of the bitterness of death. But we are talking about such an unblemished or unearthly joy that could be the fruit of our spirit nurtured in the good soil of our heart through the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. As it is written, even the laughter of the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. Proverbs 14, 13 The fruit of such an unearthly joy is called to reveal oneself not in some high spirits, but in a certain discipline of the mind and heart, which could reveal itself in love for truth and in hatred for lawlessness.
in which our emotional sphere could be made dependent on the fulfillment of the discipline of the commandment of the Lord. This is what it is to rejoice in the Lord. This is to love righteousness and hate lawlessness. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. And also Psalms 45, 8. And so the lack of an earthly joy in the heart in the fruit of our spirit which could be expressed in the, in the actions of love for truth and hatred for lawlessness cannot give God a reason to send us rain in moderation. Again, the lack of unearthly joy in the heart and the fruit of our spirit which could be expressed in actions of love for truth and hatred of lawlessness cannot give God a reason to send us rain in moderation. And consequently, it cannot give God a foundation to protect us from the evil that resides in our body, in the face of the old man with his deeds, behind which are the organized forces of darkness. Amen. Let us bend our knees and may the Lord bless us in our prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for this opportunity to be in this place that has been blessed by you, that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you for your presence on this place, for your truth, for your mercy, for your mercy that dwells in your word, in whom and through whom we become truly your disciples, and we know your truth that makes us free from sin. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy that you show and you give to us through your preached word so that we can grow and come to the full measure of the stature of Christ that we can be clothed in your holy selective love so that we can know you in all of your fullness we thank you you are our shepherd and you lead us beside still waters and strengthen our souls and send us 
upon the paths of righteousness. We thank you that you teach us through your word how to make our paths firm in order to affirm our foot and for us to not incline the left to the right from the paths of righteousness. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you that you lead us in order to cleanse us from all impurities of the flesh. Allow us to give you the foundation to protect us from evil. And for this, it is necessary for us to have and to withhold our tongue from evil. We thank you that the peace of God that is above all understanding, He observes our hearts and our thoughts in Christ Jesus. Allow us to make firm our calling and election, because doing so, we will never stumble. For in this manner, entrance into the kingdom of heaven will be open to us. We thank you We thank you that you demonstrate this mercy and guide us in order to test us and we thank you for your healing power And that you will lead us through all of these trials and difficulties and tribulations because during these end times the devil and all of his anger rises up against the male child that is found in the womb of the woman And he attacks these bodies of your chosen ones. But when we are clothed, our bodies will be clothed. In these imperishable bodies, the devil then will not be able to do anything and this time is near and we call upon you our father in the name of Jesus Christ come that we can lift up our hands, we can lift up our voices, and we can exclaim and affirm your power. 
This power, Lord, you have given to us through the speaking of tongues. As the Lord lives, our rock, our strength, and our fortress, and we will not be shaken. We thank you for this word that we had. We thank you for that word, Lord. that is going to be given on Friday and on Sunday. We thank you for Pastor Danik. May upon him be the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit to give this word to us in your power and for us to accept it and to affirm, to affirm and to be rooted in you because in this time you are bringing us through this isolation so that we can more and more be strengthened, rooted, and affirmed. We thank you. We thank you for this word, living, that gives us life. We bow down before you, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.